Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the wall. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. And good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. We have a special treat coming all the way from Australia today. Our brother Daniel Seckham is in the right time zone now, and he's going to be joining us on the air, and he's getting himself ready right now. But first, we want to say good morning to David Ellison. Good morning to those of you joining us on the chat room. Make sure you tell a friend that Daniel is back. <clears throat> the boy is back in town, is what they say. So let me say hello to you, young Daniel. How are you, sir? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you really good. I hear you good. Nice to see your face. Right. Let me see that face there. There it is. <laughs> yes. Um, um, what can I say? It's, um, it's great to be back. I'm happy to be back in a, in a suitable time zone. Uh, amen. And what time is it in Australia right now? Is it 11 o'clock? It's, it's midnight. Oh, it is midnight. Yes. Did you take a nap? Yeah, see, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. No, it's funny because um, if I was to do it in the previous time zone, so that's when you guys were out of daylight savings and we were in daylight savings, that means that our interview would start at 2 a.m. and we'd finish at 3 a.m. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that knocks me around way too much. But it, uh, I'm so very happy to be back. Well, we're happy to have you back. And we have some serious stuff to really cover right now because we need to get your perspective on what you are observing. And I've got a few questions for you along the way. But first of all, why don't you just let us know what you've been doing, what God has been revealing to you, and uh, what's happening in your part of the world? Um, I've been very busy. So I've just mainly been focusing on on, um, deep diving into the scriptures, focusing on Bible studies. Uh, We've been doing an intensive Bible study through the book of Isaiah. Uh, in my in our local Bible study here, and with a Zoom Bible study that we do online, we've been doing a, a an in depth in depth study into the Book of Daniel, which has been very very rewarding. So we've been getting lots and lots out of the Book of Daniel. Absolutely loved it. Good. Are you uh, now teaching this Bible study online, or is it a local thing in your town? Yes, teaching it online. So. The book of Isaiah, I am actually doing here locally, so people um, uh, overseas won't be able to hear that. But um, the Zoom Bible study that we do every – well, we've actually had to change it. So it was Thursday night for you guys in the U.S., but it's going to be Wednesday night, Wednesday evening. So I think it's uh, 7 p.m. for those in Central Time and for those on the Eastern uh, Eastern time, it's um, 8 p.m. So, yeah, if you are listening to this and you'd love to join, then um, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook and I'll send you the link and uh, we can go from there. Amen. Amen. All right. So my first question to you today, Daniel, um, something that just popped into my mind is, and this may be just jumping uh, headlong into our conversation uh, what is the next move mm. for the church? I mean, right now, the church scattered mm. all over the earth right now. We've gone through some seasons. There's been a lot happening. What is the next move for the Ecclesia right now? I would say don't go to sleep. Okay. Get back together. Pack out your buildings. Get churches functioning to full capacity and uh, and worship the Lord. Uh, I would say, um, look, I think we learned a big lesson last year. We learned a big lesson um, with shutting down our churches. And uh, it just, you know, it was interesting, Vincent, because when we shut down our churches, it was only a few months later, and we had one of the biggest outbreaks of lawlessness that with a, you know, like a huge outbreak of lawlessness where there was violence in all these cities, not just across America, but all over the world. So the whole, the George Floyd riots, didn't end in America. They were here in Sydney. They were over in the UK. It was everywhere. And it just goes to show that whenever America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. So, um, wow. yeah. So I would say don't compromise on, you know, as it says in Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering together. Do not forsake the gathering together. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing the NIV says. So, we cannot afford to not gather together and fellowship together. It's so powerful. And look, I just, I think I just, um, you know, I mean, look what happened when when, when we didn't. Mm. See, when the when the church, you know, I, I have a saying. The saying is this: is that the reason why the world has gone woke is because the church has gone sleep. Mm. Mm. The ch- the world has mm. gone woke because the church has gone asleep. 
And that's why we're seeing this crazy ideology, extremely dangerous ideology that is manifesting all over the world today. And um, even in, um, I, I thought it was really interesting because I saw a screenshot from a news article from the Daily Mail, and this was actually to do with um, Paris. And it says that American woke culture has infected Paris. I just thought, isn't it interesting? How they call it that. How they call it that. American woke culture is infecting the rest of the world. And you cannot help help but think of Jeremiah chapter 51, um, where, where it says that Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hands. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, and therefore they have now gone mad. I think Mm. that's very pertinent. Mm. Mm. It's been happening a long time. It's been long at the drink, no doubt about it. Such a diverse uh, moment. You know, on the one side we have in the state of Arkansas, I don't know if you know this or not, but our governor and our state legislature and our state representatives were the only state, Daniel, in the United States of America to have banned abortion totally, except if the mother is going to die. Number one state leading the way. Our governor passed uh, or capitulated to the idea of transgender uh, stuff that was going on. It was going to allow it. Well, our state legislature overruled him, which was awesome. So the state of Arkansas is doing good. But at the same time, in Fayetteville, there's a Lutheran pastor from the Good Shepherd pastor that wants to start queer camp uh, for kids in the Lutheran church. This is a live news media article. I mean, it's on the news down in Fayetteville. So the pastor is trying to show uh, benevolence and uh, comfort by creating an environment of safety for those that desire to live this lifestyle. Is that something that the church should be actually doing, do you feel? I mean, we are to love, um, you know, all people, but should we be having queer camps for kids? Absolutely not. Churches every single everywhere we need to be standing up against this against this rubbish. We have to be standing up against this rubbish, and God will hold us accountable if we do not stand up against this. Okay. You know, I want to read to you. Uh, this is a very good quote by uh, a woman called um, Where is she? Nancy Piercy. Nancy Piercy, and she says this. Christians should speak out on moral issues, not because they feel offended or because their cherished beliefs are threatened, but because they have compassion for those who are trapped by destructive ideas. Amen. No, because we have compassion for those who are trapped. Listen, this Lutheran pastor is, I would even, I wouldn't even call him a pastor. This Mm. man is an apostate. Hmm. He is an apostate. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> and what he is doing, he is assisting these children to be uh, completely caught up in the whole LGBT lifestyle. And you know what Jesus said? He said, if anyone causes one of my little ones to sin or to stumble, it will be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea. So those are harsh words by Jesus. And um, Jesus is absolutely vehemently passionate about protecting the innocents. And the fact that this pastor, so-called pastor, is doing it is absolutely despicable and reprehensible. 
Yeah, amen. Here's the article. Here, here's what it is in the news. Check this out. For the community by putting on what he's calling queer camp. KNWA's Will Moclair connected with the pastor's church to see what the camp will entail. Glenn is a pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. He tells me he's excited to announce the church will be hosting its first queer camp this summer. Schneckloff says he's been discouraged with all the recent bills passed that impact the LGBTQ plus community. And instead of lashing out, he feels the best way to respond is to give local youth an outlet where they can feel accepted. If, if there are families or there are kids that are uh, um, watching this and they are themselves uh, kind of discerning uh, issues around being gender fluid or around their sexual orientation, just to know there are really communities out there that are supportive of them and love them and, and we want to be here for you. Check law says the camp is set to run from July 5th to the 10th. But a lot of the details are being worked out. If you have any interest in the camp, he welcomes all to reach out to the church. All right. So uh, just a little tidbit of, you know, this is reality. And uh, this is what's really going on in our society where churches are now capitulating to the LGBTQ community uh, efforts. And my next question to you, Daniel, is how has the left moved forward in their plans and agendas um, in the last year or so. I mean, the left just seems to have burst forward into something. What is it that they have advanced in? They seem, they seem to be going full stream ahead in the whole CRT. It's called CRT, which is basically called critical race theory. This okay. is what they are going full steam ahead with. So that's the, 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 the number one thing that they're capitalizing on at the moment. Now, I would probably say that CRT actually comes out of simply CT, which is called critical theory. Critical theory is, a, um, is an ideology that came out of the Frankfurt School in the 1940s, originally in the 1940s and was further developed in the 1950s, was exported to America in the 19, uh, in the late 1940s, in, in the 50s, and it started to gain, gain a foothold in the 1960s. And that's what spearheaded the counterculture movement. And critical theory is basically criticizing social norms ad nauseum. That's basically what it means, criticizing social norms ad nauseum and, and basically um, questioning well, criticizing the tall poppies within society. I mean, basically it's criticizing all the social norms. It's really essentially the things that have made America successful, mm. the things that have made America great, you know? So basically the family unit, okay? Um, the fact that um, capitalism is a big one. Christianity is a major one. Um, and it criticizes these things and it says, you know, it, it, for no reason other than the fact that it's a tall poppy and it needs to be brought down because they then go on about all these so-called minorities, these so-called people who are downtrodden and who are exploited and oppressed because of um, capitalism, because of, um, you know, Christianity, because of, uh, of uh, heteronormative families because of the patriarchy. And so they basically make up these ridiculous boogeymans to say and invent these victims who say, uh, who try to imply that these victims are suffering as a result of these social norms, you know, these things that have been the success story within Western culture. So it's, that's what they're pushing ahead with. Now, what makes it um, 
critical race theory different from critical theory per se is the fact that critical race theory is focused on the whole racial uh, agenda. And it really is simply, it's divide and conquer, divide and conquer. It's all about creating agitation between the races. It's creating agitation between whites and blacks. It's creating, it's, it's implying to, to the, uh, the blacks that they are the victim and that they are being trod underfoot by the whites and that whites are all devils, that the, the whites are devils and they're the ones that are exploiting, exploiting them. And the reason why blacks can't get ahead isn't because that they're not showing any discipline or they're not showing any determination. No, 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 it's because of the white man. So you can imagine what that does. I mean, that makes the blacks feel extremely embittered, extremely angry. Um, and we see this break out in the violence. We see this break out. In fact, there was a, a, a girl who was, who was gunned down in Virginia. I think she was an 11 year old girl who was shot by a, um, a black young man, a black, a black child around her age because they've been drilled into them. And by the way, it's very, very similar, Vincent, I should say, very, very similar to the psychology with the Palestinians toward the Israelis. Because again, it's this whole victim thing, that they are a victim. And the reason why that they are doing it tough is not because of their own choices or because of their own lack of determination. No, it's because of the Israelis. The Israelis are devils. And so the Palestinians have, are embittered toward them. And this is why they have summer camps um, every year where up to 14 to 15,000 young Palestinian Palestinians go along where they can learn how to stab Jews and where they can learn how to kill, ambush Jews and kill them. I'm not making this up. This is actually fair income. This is actually what they do. And, uh, and this is what's going on. This is what critical race theory does. It, it, it divides it puts a very, very sharp division between sections of, of our society and pits them against each other, which is exactly what Karl Marx, Marx envisioned. He envisioned this. He envisioned that the, the ultimate way to bring about a socialist revolution is to, is to proceed with class warfare. But I think the class, the, the warfare between the classes wasn't really the effective thing because people wouldn't really lay down their life for their class. They wouldn't even take on, see their class as part of their identity. But they, they do see their own ethnicity as part of their identity, and they will, people will uh, take issue with that. And that's why critical race theory has, has been so devastating. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, it does two things. I mean, it, and, and it favours two groups of people. It favours the victim class, but it favours also the predators. These are the power-hungry sharks. These are the ones who thrive on power. And, uh, and this is how they get it. They get power through this divide-and-conquer process through critical race theory. You know, very interesting because as you're talking, what I'm hearing is what's been happening to the mind of the church, the mind of the ecclesia over the years, mm. uh, putting bigotry on it, shame, reproach, literally making people feel ashamed about their faith in Jesus Christ by declaring truth, speaking moral righteousness to an immoral generation. And I think a lot of the church has capitulated uh, to the mind control to make us feel ashamed. Now, Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. He was not preaching out of his own self. 
He was preaching the word of God, which is black and white. It's life or death. He who believes shall be saved. He who doesn't, right? So talk about the shame that the the left or the world powers have really thrust upon our generation to take the church out of the game, so to speak. Well, they, they understand that the church is the number one enemy. And this is where you see in communist regimes all over the world. So if you're caught leading a Bible study, you'll go to jail, okay? Because you see the moment that people embrace Christianity, um, they no longer become dependent upon the state. And that, that bothers the statists. You know, the statists want dependency because they want control, they want power. And the moment um, a society becomes Christian, they no longer have any dependence upon the state. They're self-governed. They, are, they, they have self-determination. They, uh, they don't need the church to nanny it. They, sorry, the, the state. They don't need the state to nanny it. They don't need to be uh, governed. Uh, they don't, sorry, what, what I'm looking, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they don't need the, the state to be uh, its parents. And that's essentially what happens because in communist countries, the, the state has become the nanny where it basically takes care of your needs from the cradle to the grave, from the cradle to the grave. And everything is catered for. Uh, the, the state will look after you, but you owe your body to the state. You owe your very life to the state. Your state becomes, your body becomes the state's property. And, uh, and, and so there's no freedom in that. There's no freedom. That's why there's all, it, it always is, uh, leads to slavery and suffering. Whereas the moment people embrace Christianity, when they embrace the Christian worldview, I should say, because there are many people that aren't Christians, but they live under the Christian worldview, uh, that, leads to an incre- that leads to a measure of personal freedom and liberty. And so, and that's what the United States is based upon. You know, people are fleeing these communist countries and coming to America because they're trying to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just so sad. It, it, you know, Vincent, so many com- uh, sorry people who have fled from these socialist and communist countries are absolutely beside themselves when they see Americans obsessed with this same ideology that they that they fled from. It really is extraordinary. In fact, there's a really good interview on PragerU where there is a woman who did flee from one of these socialist countries, and she's in disbelief saying, why? America is, is so strong because of her freedom. Why does America want to embrace that, which leads to suffering and slavery? Amen. Well, she makes a great point. And what it sounds like yeah. you're saying is that uh, in a government-controlled society, even the church has to speak the language that the government permits. In other words, as long as the church capitulates, goes along with, tolerates, compromises with uh, the, the way that the world wants it to be or the left wants it to be, they're okay. But the moment John the Baptist begins to speak out against the king or the governor because he's doing bad things, all of a sudden his wife wants the head of the prophet. And this government right now may have some people in positions of power, i.e. Kamala Harris and others, that if any conversation against this present government could be calling for the heads of those that would speak anything against what they want as acceptance. And that means the church has really lost its voice. It's lost its salt. It's lost its light. And it's very much good for nothing. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. 
And really, this is the whole issue between left and right. I mean, the left wants to control. They left. Um, they want, and you know, whereas the right is all about individual liberty, the, the fact that we can govern ourselves. This is what Thomas Jefferson said. He said the issue today is the same as it has been throughout all history. He says whether man shall be allowed to govern himself or be ruled by a small elite, he says. Now, James Madison, James Madison says, we have staked the whole of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. The future and success of America is not in this Constitution, but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded, he says. That's awesome. Yeah. Let me ask you a constitutional question. I mean, um, you know, from your perspective, you know, we're not lawyers here, but I do want to ask you this question. When you go back and you read statements like that, and I've, I was mm-hmm. doing it yesterday, and I've got a whole ton of, you know, what the founders have actually said about the Constitution and about the Bible and about Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Um, there, I have friends that are insisting that uh, LGBTQ community, BLM, Antifa, just, you know, there are three major groups we're all aware of, so we use them as, a, as kind of a picture, that the Constitution affords these groups the right to address the government over their grievances. Was that the original intent of the Constitution, the very nature of the Constitution, to allow what they knew as evil – immoral, unrighteous, because they said this constitution was only for immoral and righteous people. So is it really the nature of the founding fathers and the constitution of the United States to allow evil people to address government, to make sure that their evil is supported or not? Well, well, first of all, we need to, we need to pop the ridiculous lie that the LGBT are seeking this as a right. Now, the reason why they're going after it as a right is because they have basically, um, and this is through decades of propaganda and indoctrination, um, basically implied that their behavior is innate and part of their actual identity. Now, so see, back in the 70s and 1960s, before the propaganda gained hold within our society, it was widely and commonly accepted that homosexuality was simply a behavior. It was a behavior. And because it was a behavior, it wasn't considered as born this way was considered to be ridiculous. Okay. Because they, they saw homosexuality as simply a mm. alternative lifestyle point, as simply as an alternative lifestyle that you could pursue if you wanted to. By the way, if you were to go back in, into the Greek culture, see many of the Greek soldiers actually um, had a, a a boy on the side for pleasure. I mean, they would they would indulge themselves in homosexuality, but by the time they got to a certain age, they they did away with that, they, and they they, they they moved on from that. And the same with the Roman Empire. With the, within the Roman Empire, homosexuality homosexuality was rife. But homosexuality was generally pursued by the um, by the upper class members who basically took it upon themselves to um, 
have pleasure with slaves and the uh, unfortunate, the downtrodden. So basically they use their bodies for their physical pleasure. And uh, it's just, it's really sad and it's very sordid, but that's just the way it was in the ancient world. Whereas in today, what the Marxists have very, very cleverly done is that they have taken this behavior and they have painted it as a innate, immutable part of one's identity. And because they have now done that and they have succeeded in doing that with the power of the media and the culture, is that they are now going after rights. They're going after rights. They, are, they say, I'm born this way, therefore I want my rights. And, uh, and, and that's been incredibly effective, incredibly effective. And this is why we now find ourselves where we are, where there is a clash between the rights of the LGBT and the natural innate rights that we have as believers. You know, and this is what we see in the Declaration of Independence you know, that um, these inalienable rights, which are God-given, you know, that, that are given to us by our creator, endowed by our creator. And so um, so this is where it's, there's a collision course. There is a, a collision course with these people who are pursuing rights because they've been deceived, because really um, their homosexuality is a behavior and it's, it should be, shouldn't be thought of anything less than that. But unfortunately they are now in a position where they are uh, in a position to crush the First Amendment rights of, of believers everywhere. And so, and this is the whole purpose behind the Equality Act. The Equality Act is probably one of the worst Trojan horse pieces of legislation that has ever, ever appeared in American history. It has the ability to criminalize pastors and Christian organizations and Christian educational institutions and to completely destroy them you know, if they do not toe the line and appease the, um, the LGBT community. So it's, uh, America is, is basically is in a very, very precarious position at the moment because this is the very thing that, that threatens the First Amendment. And once your First Amendment goes, then it's, it's, game, it's game over. It's game, set, match. Amen. Totalitarianism will creep in. Well, absolutely, and it has. And I think it's always important to remind our listeners and ourselves that this encroachment that we are dealing with right now, to some degree, we're not dealing with it very well as a nation. Uh, we're actually just allowing it. But a generation ago, Daniel, there were laws, there were sodomy laws in the United States of America. And you go back to the founding fathers, there were laws yeah. as extensive as death for committing yeah. an act of, of, of this kind of homosexuality mm-hmm. or imprisonment or fines. And it's not until our generation that we've all made, they've made everybody to believe it's always been this way. This is the way it's always should have been. You bigoted Christians, you moralists, you this, that, and yeah. the other thing. But it was always against the law, except in our generation, like abortion, like pornography, yeah. like all the other isms that go along with it. Why is that yeah, important why to know? Look, that's a great point. And we need to ask ourselves, so people would be horrified by that. Like um, our Victorian premier, I think it, I think it was in uh, June last year, basically had a ceremony where he had the raising of the rainbow flag on the, on the, on the um, Victorian parliament. 
And basically, it was all a day of of saying sorry to the LGBT community because how they they were treated. And it's almost as if you know, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, see that wasn't shocking back then. It wasn't shocking for for those penalties to be in place because it was very well known that homosexuality was a behaviour, and that's why they had those those um, those criminal codes in place. That's why they had those laws in place because if you were to pursue that particular behaviour, then there will be consequences to that. However, again, as a result of the huge lobbying and activism on behalf of um, of uh, homosexual activist groups, what that did, it completely changed the mindset of society into thinking that homosexuality was not a behavior, but actual, a inborn, innate, immutable trait. Amen. And, and that's, yeah. Yeah, and so when I look up, and I did a little study on this years ago, and I've been looking at it again, a sodomy law is a law that defines certain sexual acts as crimes, okay? Uh, The precise Mm -hmm. sexual acts meant by the term sodomy are rarely spelled out in the law, but are typically understood by courts to include any sexual act deemed to be unnatural or immoral. And it was a constitutional offense. I mean, this kind of behavior in our nation for 200 and some odd years, was against the constitutional laws that existed, not until our generation in the 1960s did they begin to fight Lawrence versus Taylor, I think it is, in Texas. Uh, did they begin the I- ideology of, no, this is unconstitutional uh, to fight against this kind of behavior. And look what has happened mm-hmm. to our nation. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, you know, you know, you, you must understand that homosexuality is like the perfect tool for the left. And the reason why it is the perfect tool for the left is the fact that it, um, homosexuality attacks the, the two very institutions that, that are holding back a socialist revolution. And so what is that? Well, that's the institute of the family and the institution of the church. Homosexuality attacks the family. It destroys the family. And it also destroys the church. It attacks the church. It attacks both those institutions at the same time. Now, because it destroys the family, it by default destroys the nation. It by default destroys the nation. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what people really, really need to understand and, and, and why it is as much of, of a threat as it is. Let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. Sure. Um, this is what it says. It says, when the fa- Mark Stein says, when the family dies, the nation follows. When the family dies, the nation follows. So if you destroy the family through the, the LGBT agenda, it's just a matter of time before the nation follows. Uh, someone else said here, the family is the principal force of cultural reproduction. Destroy it, and the engine driving civilization will grind to a halt. So what you're saying, that's absolutely amazing. What you're saying is that the left or the communist agenda, socialist agenda in our country uses homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism as a political tool to advance their particular cause, which is to drown out the effectiveness of the church, to dim the light, to uh, remove the preservation, uh, the preservative powers of salt, 
And that allows the avalanche or the flood of iniquity to sweep the minds, which is a biblical reality that out of the serpent's mouth went a flood of water to sweep away the woman, right? Yep. Yep. And, uh, and this is the thing, you know, and it's very, very powerful, especially with the young people. Very, very powerful. This is why we have a high percentage of young people these days that identify as LGBT, even a, a high percentage of people who identify as transgender. It's, it's, it's growing. It, it has grown into what you would call a contagion. It has become a contagion. And uh, it, it's, once it sets in, it's like a cancer. Once it sets in, it, it, it continues to eat the healthy cells in the body. These cancerous cells continue to eat and attack the healthy cells until the healthy cells can no longer put up a fight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what is a cause of concern or should it be a cause of concern that you could count on one hand how many ministries, preachers, evangelists, pastors, teachers, prophets are actually speaking against this? I was told you know, 15 years ago, hey, you need to chill out on talking about LGBTQ. You need to stop talking about homosexuality. And I thought, well, I will if I hear the other members of the body of Christ doing it, but I don't hear anybody crying out against it. So I refuse to allow God's narrative on this issue to be drowned out by a false narrative. And so we will continue to talk about it. And you don't know what the consequences will be. But the bottom line, shouldn't the whole of Christianity be crying out against abortion, homosexuality, or do people just get tired of hearing it? And is there being tired of hearing it part of the agenda of the mind control that's taking place? Yeah, look, listen, let me read what Stephen Hotz of Conservative Republicans of Texas. So Stephen Hotz of the Conservative Republicans of Texas, he said this, He said, if Houston falls and Texas falls to the homosexual political movement on this issue, the country is gone. Houston pastor, Dr. Ed Young, you've probably heard of him. Mm -hmm. He said that, he says, this is a moral issue. And if the body of Christ does not vote and speak out, we are gone in the 21st century. There it is. There it is. Okay, so I've got some friends uh, uh, talking right now about what we started our broadcast with, that in the state of Arkansas, which is the good news, the only state in the union, the only state to put a ban on transgender, you know, uh, hormone blocking drugs and surgery, which is awesome. Uh, the only state in, a, in the United States to ban every form of abortion, except if the mother is going to die, there, you know, rape, incest, none of that covers abortion anymore. So that is a very awesome thing to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now in a state that is standing from our state representatives to our legislative branch of government in this state. We're very proud of that. We're thankful. And yet you cannot ignore the reality of the invasive measures and movements within this place. It's a battle. And we found that these communities and this aggressive movement against morality and what is natural, uh, they will keep fighting until they've had their way. Is this their moment where we could actually see uh, where resistance will be knocked down by the force of the pressure that is going to be brought upon states and nations and towns and cities and churches? Well, I think that we will be judged according to the measure that we stand against this, this wickedness. Um, I think that those who refuse to take a stand 
will be judged fairly heavily. Um, I, I think that those who, who, are, who are prepared to take a stand against wickedness, who are prepared to take a stand for the unborn, who are prepared to take a stand against immorality and a stand against children being indoctrinated with this whole LGBT nonsense, I think God will look favorably upon those people who do have the courage to take a stand. And uh, I think, you know, look, you know, it's funny, like there, there, there are Christians who are saying that Christians need to be quiet. They need to stay, stay out of these political issues. Yeah. I just scratch my head at those people. You know, essentially what they're saying is, is that, um, you know, listen, let's not, let's not stop these bad guys from hurting good people. You know, let's just let them do it, you know, because it's, you know, we don't want to do that. I honestly cannot get my head around it, Vincent. It's just, it does my head in. I just don't understand the logic of these people. Yeah. I think it really is, comes down to the, you know, a lot of this great delusion as part of the madness that's sweeping across the nation and sweeping across the world. I think that's where it comes from. But I think every single Christian has a responsibility to take a stand. And if we take a stand, then, you know, I think God will look favorably on those people who do take a stand. So, um, you know, well, let me let me let me help scratch your head just for a moment. okay? I want to scratch an itch. Yes. All right. Logic. You say there's no logic to it. And this is the problem. The church is operating in logic rather than obedience to the word of God. And if we were being obedient to the word of God, we would be exposing everything that's in the darkness. You don't have to be a politician to do that. But the church being salt and light, preserving the values of the kingdom of heaven, as you so aptly spelled out months ago, that salt wasn't just for good flavor. It was to preserve the values of our society. And when we no longer are interested in preserving the values of morality and what is right, well, we have lost our saltiness. And this is why we're in the position that we're in. The big question is, have we crossed the point of no return, or can the church get its salt back? Can it find its light, its moral bearings? Can it become a voice again in our society, or have they been successful in terrifying and terrorizing the church in shutting up and capitulating? That's a great point. Um, let me read you this quote by Melissa Moschella. Now, she's a, a pro-life activist, and this is what she has to say. She says, Perhaps there are times and places in the history of the world in which it is possible to go through life as just an ordinary good person, a faithful spouse, a loving parent, a concerned citizen, a regular churchgoer, an honest and industrious professional, leaving, leading a normal, quiet life, not making waves or standing out in any way. Perhaps, she says, but the United States of America in the year, and she said this in 2014, in the year 2014, is not one of those times and places. Rather, in our contemporary society, the only way to be good is to be heroic. Failing to act with heroism inevitably makes us complicit in grave evils. Hey, Daniel, if you could check your uh, audio, there seemed to have, there has been a shift and either we're being listened to by some higher powers that are messing with us a little bit today uh, because of the weight of the conversation. And quite frankly, you know, without making reputation, uh, these words must be told 
all over the world. And there must be an awakening of the ecclesia, the voice of God in the earth. And if every believer would recognize that we are the only speaking spirits on this planet, and the voice that we have been given is not to voice our own opinions, but the word of God, and to declare the abominable reality of what is going on in our society, and speaking the truth in love, always with the idea of winning, for such were some of you, we get that. We're established on that. We build everything. But also, we should be the ones crying out, screaming from the rooftops, and interpreting this. So if we were to interpret everything right now that we've been talking about, what is your biblical, spiritual interpretation of the signs of the times concerning what we've just said? Okay, I've lost your audio. I cannot hear you. No audio. Yep, I cannot Nick. hear you. No. What about if, what now. About if I do this? Now. You got me? Got you. All right, I'm happy about that. Well, uh, let me read to you what uh, Katie Force, she's a brilliant uh, conservative activist, and she says, whenever a Christian or a church decides that to speak up on controversial cultural issues is to get too political. They leave these victims without protection and are out of step with with Christian history. Whenever a Christian or a church claims that they avoid these issues because it distracts from the gospel, distracts from the gospel, they are embracing an anemic, truncated gospel. Christians today can join those who've gone before us proclaiming the gospel and caring for children. I think, you know, I think it's what you're saying, Vincent, it is the signs of the times. And, you know, Jesus said that there were two kind of societies that you would expect to witness in the lead up to his return. And that was the days of Noah and the days of Lot. The days of Noah and the days of Lot. And so we can expect that, you know, you look what happened in the days of Lot. Okay, what, is, what was the days of Lot famous for? What was Sodom famous for? Why do, we, why do we have sodomy laws, okay, relating to ancient Sodom? You know, what was it about, what was it about, the, um, um, about the, the times of Noah? You know, and I want to read to you something that's really, really interesting. And this is actually from, this is actually from the Mishnah. This is actually from the Jewish Mishnah. So it says uh, here in the Mishnah, and this is actually taken from Genesis Rabbah 26, um, um, Genesis Rabbah 26, 5, 4 of the Midrash. And this is what it says. And this is commenting, this is the Midrash that is commenting on the society in the time of Noah, before the flood. It says, the generation of the flood was not blotted out of the world until they had begun writing nuptial hymns for marriages between males or between man and beast. Wow. It's interesting. 
Okay, you kind of just went out on me, but I want to tell you that you are absolutely confirming. Yesterday, I spent an hour and a half talking about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And it's on our broadcast yesterday. You're now bringing that up. So this obviously is what God is talking to us about, that the last days would be just like those days. And the confirmation and the witness is these are those days. Vincent? What was the entire purpose of God putting the rainbow in the, in the sky? All right. So before then, there was no there, there was no rainbow because there was no rain per se, because that's how you get a rainbow because of rain, right? Because the world was a gigantic terrarium. Genesis says that the water would come up in, in like streams from the earth and would water the crops. But before then, there was no rain. There wasn't. There was no rainbow. So God put the rainbow on the sky as a covenant, as a berit in Hebrew, that He would never destroy the world again by flood, because of the wickedness of the people. So don't you think it's ironic, Vincent, that the very symbol that the LGBT community hold up and that they proudly parade around is the symbol of the rainbow? In fact, every time I see that flag wave, it's like they are declaring the days of Noah. The days of Noah. You are living in the days of Noah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a harbinger. It is an absolute harbinger. Wow. That's good. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, I was actually mentioning yesterday about something you, you said on this broadcast a long time ago that one of the saddest verses in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6, where God was grieved at his heart that he made mankind. And, um, you know, these are just profound, profound moments. What you just said, very profound. It is a harbinger, the waving of the flag in defiance against a holy God. That is amazing to me. These signs, they're hidden in plain sight. They are hidden in plain sight. And it's not until you actually point out the obvious do you realize that these things, these clues that we are living in the last days, these clues are staring at us in our face. You know, they are hidden in plain sight. Yeah. So, yeah. So the church is going to be judged from each generation. We've always had a responsibility to contend with powers upon the earth. We're in a spiritual wrestling match, according to Ephesians chapter 6. And if you become born again in any generation within the church age, you've been engaged, you've been brought into a spiritual battle, an epic battle that's been raging since the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden. And if we are silent and we capitulate to the voice of the devil and are not obedient to the word of God, every generation, every society falls into the same disrepute. It falls into brokenness, a snare, uh, being cast out of the garden. The blessing of the Lord is gone. That's happening to our nation, and it's happening globally around the world right now. As you aptly said just a moment ago, this is not just an American thing. This is happening all over the world. Put everything into a global context right now. And then my final question to you is throughout time, God has always raised up an adversary when dealing with his nation. I mean, to Israel in the days of Isaiah, it was the Assyrians. In the days of Jeremiah, it was the Babylonians. And time and again, we've seen God raise up weapons of mass destruction to deal with the people. Now, we are a Judeo-Christian nation. The West understands, democracy understands the values of biblical principles, what is right and what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral. 
And now that we have abandoned the laws of God, what kind of an adversary do you see God sending against maybe a Judeo-Christian nation like America in this hour? Actually, by, by the way, you guys pronounce it Habakkuk? Habakkuk. And it should have been Habakkuk, uh, the Italian with the Malachi. But anyways, <laughs> I can't hear you. All right, say that again. Okay, you can't hear me? Now I can. Go ahead. I hear you now. Well, you're going to go to the book of Habakkuk. So we're not Habakkuk. Habakkuk is complaining to God. He says, God, you're not doing anything about the wickedness of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Okay. Wickedness of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He says, they are depraved, they are wicked, and Lord, you're not doing anything about it. And God says, well, actually, Habakkuk, I am doing something about it. And Habakkuk's like, well, what? And, and, Habakkuk, and God says, I am raising up the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that, that, that impetuous people who, uh, who have a scorched earth policy, who are a law unto themselves. I'm raising them up to deal with the wickedness of my people. And then Habakkuk was like, whoa, 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 come on, uh, <laughs> Lord, you can't be serious. Are you seriously raising up the, 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 the Babylonians? And, and Habakkuk says, yes, I'm raising, God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. And that's exactly what God did. You know, it's interesting because in the book of Jeremiah, God refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. Three times. Three times he calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. In other words, he is the instrument of his wrath in disciplining and chastising his people. And so I believe that the the so-called Babylonians that God raised up, God is raising up a different group of people. And I believe this is to be Islam. I believe that Islam is upon this world and God has purposely raised up Islam for the purpose of judging the West. For judging the West. Yeah, and I think um, we are seeing it happening everywhere. By the way, Vincent, I think it's interesting that the further wing a society becomes, the more Islam grows within that society like an aggressive cancer with breathtaking speed. I mean, just look what's happening in, for example, uh, Sweden. Let me read this to you. Swedish Green Party, this is what they say. They say white women must move, move out of the way for foreigners to take power. Swedish Green Party spokesman Marta Stenevi has claimed that in order for foreign minority women to get power in Sweden, Native-born white Swedish women must move aside, she says. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but you don't want to talk about that because you become a racist or you become a xenophobe or you become Islamophobic, um, and, and that's not right. And 
they're going to tell on you. Trouble, Vincent. <laughs> but what great trouble we're getting in. We get to stand before the Lord and he blesses us, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. I didn't hear what you said, but I saw your lips. You'd rather be in trouble with Islam than you would like to be, rather be in trouble with God. All right. Very, very good, Daniel. Um, I don't know what happened to our audio today. Somebody out there is uh, trinculating with it. And that's a new word I just made up, trinculating. But uh, it means they're messing with it. And uh, let's, let me get out of the way. Just give you a, a, we've got a couple of minutes. I've got to go to a sharp close at 10 o'clock. Um, go ahead and finally, what do you want to say to the body of Christ, people listening right now, a final word before we go? Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated by the world. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. And probably one of the best ways I would encourage you to remove that fear is to begin to, well, there's two ways. Number one, educate yourself. Educate yourself. Read, read, read. Understand the culture wars. Understand the history of LGBT. Understand the history of leftist activism. Understand the central figures behind cultural Marxism. Understand it. Once you understand it, you will no longer be afraid. You'll be able to stand up and speak out because you understand where it's all come from. You understand the enemy. You, you, you will know the enemy's Achilles heel. You will understand the enemy's weaknesses. You'll be able to point, uh, poke holes in all their arguments, and you will no longer be intimidated anymore. The second reason is, the second big reason is that you need to draw close to the Lord. Because if you are in close fellowship with Jesus, you will not be intimidated by the world. So if you, um, if you are standing in the Lord's presence, you will never take the knee to the world. Never. I mean, you'll constantly... Um, 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 put the Lord's interests first, and in doing so, um, the world will listen. Jesus already said that the world is going to hate you. Jesus said that uh, you'll be hated by all nations because of me. He said this was going to happen right before his return. He said, um, and because of the increase of weakness, the, the love of many will grow cold. You know, you're going to, you will be persecuted. That is an absolute. Uh, even if you even weren't, in, even if these weren't the last days, if you were to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. That's exactly what Paul says in the book of Acts. So we need to accept the fact that we are going to be hated by the world, and we need to uh, take that on board and just continue to work and work and be busy. You know, this we need to watch and we need to pray. We need to work in the vineyard that God has us working in. We, need, we are bond servants for the Lord. We need to work. And Jesus said, work while you have daylight, because night is coming when no man can work. The other thing is we need to watch, and we need to be discerning in our watching. Okay, Because Jesus said in these days there will be great deceptions. So we need to watch. in prayer with the Lord and we need to be hearing from the Lord as the revelation says he who has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so we need to have that sensitive ear and hearing his voice when, we, when it comes to spending time with him in prayer 
Amen. And this may, that's so well said, and this may be what being a Christian is really all about, following the one who stood for what was right and had such compassion and love for the sinner. He always made a way for the sinner. And if you're out there today, you're listening to this broadcast, you're trapped in a lifestyle and you have a philosophy and a narrative has been presented to you to keep you bound up. Listen, the gospel is the best news you'll ever know in your life. And if you turn to Jesus Christ and allow his word to enter into your heart, he will deliver you and set you free from the thing that they are justifying the wickedness of the wicked and woe unto them because your soul, they really don't care about. God does confess, repent, turn away from what you already know is wrong and be saved forever in Jesus' name. Daniel, thanks for joining me today. Once again, it's one o'clock in the morning to you, brother. Get some rest. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you next week. And maybe 12 o'clock will turn into 11 o'clock. I don't know how that would happen, but that would be great. <laughs> Thank you, brother. God bless you. Shalom. All right. And I am so sorry about the, uh, the way the monitor, the audio went today, but that's it for us. We're going to go right now. There's an amazing roundtable discussion on omegaradio.org. And you don't want to miss it. You can go there right now, omegaradio.org, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We just spent an hour with Daniel Seckham. Keep him in your prayers. And uh, God bless that young man for being willing to continue to speak out uh, the truth of God and the love of God against what is evil and what is deceptive. All right, that's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. I'm Pastor Vince. Shalom. God bless you. And uh, let's just call it a, uh, what do we want to call this? Call it a day. Goodbye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.